The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So over the last few months, we've been exploring the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. And um, in the last few weeks, we've been on the um, topic of wise speech. So covered it quite a bit already. Um, And there were some questions and things particularly around some of the gray edges around wise speech. And so that's the main area I want to uh, talk about to finish up today. And if there's time, the the topic that I'd like to head in the direction of for the rest of the time, I mean, if there's more questions, we can just keep on going with questions on wise speech. But the, the other topic I'd like to explore is um, mindful speech, which is slightly different than wise speech. You know, wise speech is uh, exploring these various areas of speech. The, the um, four kinds of wise speech are refraining from false speech, refraining from divisive speech, refraining from harsh speech, and refraining from idle chatter. And so that's a, it's a very intentional exploration that we can um, just kind of check in when we're getting ready to speak around, is, is what I'm going to be saying false or uh, harsh or divisive? And sometimes I, I encourage a, a kind of a simpler question for ourselves. Is this true? Is it useful? Is it kind? That kind of encompasses those areas. True, useful, and kind. And so in order to do that, we do need to be mindful. Um, and yet the, the level of mindfulness for that is less than, I would say, the level of mindfulness needed to just be aware while we're speaking at a more ongoing basis. And so it's a, it's a deeper practice, the level of of bringing mindfulness to all of our speech. So that's the direction I'd like to to head towards. If we don't get to it today, we'll pick it up next time, when I'm here next time. So the, um, you know, the why speech is, um, let's say, um, motivated out of... uh, the kind of the the wise view of our path, which is that we, the the motivation behind this aspect of the Eightfold Path is that engaging in unwise speech, engaging in false speech, divisive speech, harsh speech, or idle chatter tends to be um, motivated out of greed, aversion, delusion, tends to be motivated out of unhelpful mind states. And so part of the exploration here is to um, refrain from doing things that are motivated out of those qualities of heart and mind that lead to suffering in the world. And so the, the whole direction of the Eightfold Path, the whole direction of our practice is a, is a reduction in suffering in our own lives and in the world. And one thing that I particularly um, appreciate about the, uh, the ethical component of the Eightfold Path uh, and the wise speech is an aspect of that, is it engages in relationship. And so this is a, a very conscious bringing in of not only looking at internally how is suffering happening, but also in relationship. What, what happens as we engage in the world? And to be aware of that. To be aware of how our speech affects the people we're speaking to. And so this is... Um, one way in which the mindfulness around wise speech may be slightly different, or maybe not even slightly, may be different from the, from the way in which we practice mindfulness on our, on our cushion. Because on the cushion we can kind of just attune to what's happening, you know, just what's arising in this present moment. When thoughts arise, we can let them go. We can just, you know, let, let that go and just come back to what's here now. Sometimes we can attune to in that letting them go. It's not about pushing away the thought because thoughts are very powerful. They have an effect on us. So when we, we uh, notice a thought in our meditation practice, um, when we wake up in that moment of remembering, uh, we can recognize that... Um, 
you know, it's not just about saying, oh, that thought, forget that, come back to the breath, or come back to what's here sitting in this chair. Sometimes what's most obvious in that moment is the effect that that thought has had on you. And so if your mind has been wandering into a kind of an argument, you may have sensations and emotions that have arisen as a result of that. And so letting go of the thought doesn't mean pushing away what's happened as a result of that. And so, but this is still, this is coming into what's here now. We don't have to kind of worry or think so much about the content of the thought at that point. But we just attune to, oh, what's happening as a result of having had that thought. And so in our sitting practice, we don't have to be so concerned about the content of our thoughts. We're interested in the effect that thoughts have had on our present moment experience. In our um, practice with wise speech, we need to be interested in content. And so this is not just about um, what's a, a thought is arising, speaking is arising. We are interested in particular in the, the dynamic, the interchange with, uh, with our fellow human beings and how that content will be received. And is that content true? Is that content harsh or divisive? And so this is, this is um, I really appreciate this about the Eightfold Path, that it explicitly brings in practices where we are relational and we are interested in the kind of the everydayness of our lives, the content of our lives. My teacher, Sayadaw Utejaniya, talks about a kind of mindfulness that is aware of content and our experience together. So, you know, often in our sitting practice, we're not so paying much, we're not paying as much attention to content. And in that, we may feel like, well, if content is happening, if I'm thinking, then I can't be mindful. But Sayadaw Utejaniya points to this, that we can be mindful of content and mindful of how we are with that content. So we can be speaking and know how we are in the moment. So this is the beginning of talking about mindfulness of speaking. So the, the awareness of that content, we not only need to reflect on how it is for us, but how it might be for somebody else. And so this is looking at self and other and both at the same time. So this is a very broad kind of mindfulness that we're cultivating with wise speech. How is this content going to land? How does it feel? What's motivating this content? And so that's a big piece around the unwise speech, is the motivation. Um, it's not simply speaking something that's false that is the unwise speech. In fact, if you say something that's false without knowing that it's false, that's not considered unwise speech. Somebody told you something and said, this is true, and you repeat it to somebody believing it's true. Now, it might be useful to say, so-and-so told me it was true, you know, just to, to really kind of acknowledge the direction of the, the source. Um, because we so easily will pick up what, we t- what is true based on what somebody else has said. And so there, there's a little delusion potentially in that, if we just receive information and believe it's true without a kind of a reflection on it. But the... the um, these four aspects of unwise speech are framed as um, false speech is framed as speech with the intention to deceive. And so we know that we are telling somebody something untrue, intending to deceive them. Harsh speech is um, speech intending to cause the hearer pain, intending to make the other person feel bad in some way. Divisive speech is speech that's intended to create division. And so uh, that kind of separation of people, to create separation between people. And idle chatter is said to be speech without any purpose. So speaking without an intention behind it, without a, a kind of a and, and hopefully a kind and useful intention, right? This is, this is the, so speech that, has, that is useful and kind. So the uh, exploration here too around why speech helps us to start to look at what our motivation is uh, as we speak. And this is uh, an important 
also an important part of mindfulness to begin to be aware before we act, what's motivating that? Every action of body, speech, or mind has an intention that propels it, that motivates it. And with that intention is a reason, is a motivation. And so if we can begin to see, begin to uh, know before we speak that we are going to speak, there can be just a tiny window for us to recognize what we're going to say, so have a sense of what's going to come out of our mouths, and uh, what's the reason why we're saying it. So that if there is a little bit of intending to deceive or harshness that's present as we are getting ready to speak, we may be able to hold back. So with these different kinds of um, unwise speech, there often arise questions around, well, what about this situation? And what about that situation? And um, I've talked about some of this last week, so I won't review the ones that we've talked about so far unless they come up again in questions. Um, but the, 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 the ones that I didn't get to last time, I'd made some notes, um, are, are about idle chatter and gossip. You know, the question around gossip. Um, talking about somebody who's not present, for instance, um, often is sometimes what we talk about as being gossip. Um, but the, the intention here um, with gossip, I think, again, we need to look at, we need to look at if we are speaking, it can be useful to, if we're speaking about somebody that's not present, to uh, kind of check in and, again, look at the motivation. There can be a motivation of caring and concern. Oh, I heard so-and-so was sick. Oh, do they need any help? So there can be a motivation of caring and concern when we're speaking about somebody who's not present. But one good kind of um, um, thing to reflect on is, is this something you would say if the person were standing here? You know, uh, is this something that you would say if the, if the person were standing here? Now, again, that might not be, there might be something that you would need to s- talk about with somebody. Like, for instance, I have used a, um, a fellow teacher at times to uh, speak about a situation um, um, with, a, a, with another teacher where I, I needed to kind of understand, how should I work with this? This has been a challenging situation. And so, um, you know, I will talk to that teacher with the intention of helping me to understand how I might approach that other person. And so there might be things I would say about that other person in this dynamic that I will say, I would like this to be a confidential conversation. Um, and, and, and then... Um, and then I would use that information hopefully skillfully. So there, again, there might be times in having a conversation about somebody that's not there when the intention is wholesome. And you, you might say some things that you wouldn't say when the other person was there. But if it's about, so, you know, sometimes when we're speaking about somebody who's not there, the intention can be divisiveness. It can be to separate it might it might be it might be to separate them to exclude them or it actually might be to create an us kind of a kind of a oh we're we're together in this that it it more feels like we're creating a cohesion here but that cohesion here has the um has the uh, effect of exclusion and so you know there's just again to to look at to look at the, um, the intention behind speaking. If it's just repeating things that you've heard about somebody, again, just because you want to um, you know, demonstrate that you know something, that might not be such a good motivation. Um, so you know, again, looking at the intention is really, really helpful. And then th- there were a couple other questions well, first, just see if there's any any comments or reflections on this on this piece, on this gossip piece. Any, uh, I've got a couple more, but um, 
Is there anything that you want to reflect on around the gossip piece? Yeah. Maybe you're getting to this, but I remember the question. It wasn't mine, but about what to do if someone's gossiping with you. Uh, yes. And yeah, that, that's yep. on your list. How to respond. Well, yeah, this is... Um, it was more broad than that even, but we can start there. The question was how to respond when other people engage or harsh, divisive, or other kinds of wrong speech. And so if somebody is, is gossiping, um, how to respond? Now, this is, this is a challenge. It depends sometimes on how well you know the person. Um, I have known people to, with people they know pretty well, to just say, you know, mm, I don't engage in that kind of speech. You know, that, that doesn't feel so good to be talking about that person when they're not here or something. So to just be very honest about it, that's, that's one approach. Um, if it's somebody that you don't know well, um, um, you know, sometimes you can explore. If it's, if, it's, if, it's, if it's kind of a harmless gossip where it's just like, I mean, harmless, where it's, it's more idle than divisive or harsh, um, I mean, if it's a harsh kind of gossip, then, um, hmm, yeah, it's, this, is, this is a challenging one. If you don't know somebody well, what I often do is, is I think what I, I tend to do is not respond. I don't engage, but I may not be active in terms of offering feedback because I don't know how it will be received if I don't know the person very well. And so I don't know that it would be timely feedback. And so sometimes I will just, you know, be silent. I won't engage. And I will try to practice some kind of, um, you know, awareness internally and uh, attempt to um, hold that person with some kindness rather than judgment. Uh, so that's, a, you know, that it's, it's not so helpful when that when somebody else doing some kind of unwise speech, if your response is judging and self-aggrandize, oh, I wouldn't do that, you know, then that's something for you to look at internally. So there's, there's, more, there's more to look at there. You know, that somebody is doing that, first of all, probably often out of unawareness, just not really being... Um, aware of the potential harm that can come from that, not only for, for others, but for themselves. Um, and so to, to notice if there is judgment that arises, okay, yep, and judging is arising. You know, seeing, hearing this kind of speech, this person's engaging in this kind of speech, and judging is happening. Um, so that you, you are, are aware of that, not repressing the judgment to try to feel the sense of caring and concern for them, but yeah, okay, this is, this is a conditioned response. This is what happens here. I, there's a conditioned kind of judging pattern that happens when I see somebody else doing something. And, you know, the, the, I think the, the kind of Christian uh, um, motto of, you know, take the log out of your own eye before you take the speck out of somebody else's eye is a kind of a, a nice kind of, remembering thing there you know that 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 judging too is a sometimes when we judge there's a way in which uh we are judging and those things that we are judging are also things that are kind of deeply underneath in inside of us too so it's worth checking in when there's the judging happening um you know for for so if it's that kind of um speech that's not so that's not either harsh or divisive or um, doesn't seem to carry hatred in it, then I think we can kind of just not engage. The person may feel a little odd. It may seem like an odd kind of interaction. (laughs) Um, If you're not responding or not kind of buying in, you're not doing the social norm thing of jumping on that that, that bandwagon. and, you know, that, so it may create a kind of an awkwardness and that's something else to notice. And at the first opportunity, you might, you know, have some kind of things that you could go to to, to change the subject, <laughs> you know. And it might be something simple that feels... So this is another piece of, 
of idle chatter, you know, that sometimes comes up as a gray area, like talking about the weather, for instance, or, um, you know, something, something that feels, sounds on the surface like it might be um, uh, idle, but it, it may have an underlying purpose of creating a kind of a resonance and a connection between two people. And so, you know, you could, you know, just um, switch to something, you know, if you know the person is a, is a sports fan, it's like, oh, hey, did you hear about the results from the Final Four last night? You know, just kind of switch the, the topic a little bit. That also may be something that would generally be considered or might be considered idle if there's no real kind of connection that's happening. But the purpose there being to divert would be a wholesome, a wholesome purpose. So um, it's, it's tricky, I have to say. It is tricky. With there is harsh or divisiveness happening in the speech, um, it may call for a little bit more... Um, kind of courage to speak up. But again, it, um, you know, it, it may or may not be heard. But at the same time, you know, when we are in the presence of harshness and divisiveness, it has an effect on us. And so there's a way in which it can be useful to just kind of you know, so, you know, if you're in a conversation with somebody and there's a, a, the, the divisiveness comes up, Maybe just naming it. It's like, wow, this feels really divisive. It's really separating. Can we not talk about that right now? Uh, so that, you know, you're naming it very explicitly. And not judging or, um, you know, or, or creating the, uh, the sense of them being wrong, but just, wow, you know, that, that feels really hard for me to be listening to right now. Can we not have that conversation. So, um, now those are a few, few thoughts on that. <laughs> other, 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 other comments or questions around idle speech or gossip or, yeah, Dan. Oh, and use the mic, do use the mic. Um, so, this is about harsh speech. Um, I have a uh, style of speaking that is uh, that people experience as harsh in the sense that I express opinions with great intensity. Um, whether I'm saying anything that is inherently negative or not, um, I try to avoid when I'm well. Let me not congratulate myself. Let me just say that a lot of people experience how I sometimes communicate as a harsh experience for them. Mm -hmm. But you described harsh speech as speech with the intention to do harm to the person I'm talking to. And I avoid that pretty scrupulously. I just happen to come from a culture and a family and my temperament is such that I kind of blow people away. I, yeah. Someone once said that talking to me was like having a nail gun fired at them. Mm. Um, and, you know, so it's not nice. Uh, some people like it. Someone else said to me, you know, you're, you're, you have very limited appeal, um, which is another way of saying that I have some appeal, right? And people who like me like me a lot. Um, but, I, you know, so I, I sometimes think, well, I should change how I speak because it would benefit me to not have so many people dislike speaking with me, regardless of how they feel about it. Because, I mean, if people don't like it, they can go away, right? I'm not hurting them, just irritating. It's just negative experience. So then I think to myself, well, maybe I shouldn't, maybe I should tone it down, um, which is, you know, contrary to the advice you always get, which is to be yourself around people. And this yeah. is actually counterproductive for me to be myself. Um, I don't know. I just wonder what you thought about whether this, uh, these very 
meticulous dis definitions of the four kinds of harsh speech. I mean, in, in some sense, this is it's it is problematic, but it doesn't fit any of those definitions. Right. I don't think. So, so um, this is a great question. Um, it really begins to deepen the exploration in some ways around mindful speech. It begins to deepen the uh, uh, the exploration around mindful speech. So the 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 ethical aspects of the eightfold path, in my sense, I mean, sometimes we we have expressions of the ethical uh, teachings as being very subtle. Um, you know the the. Um, um, so the the the, the Tiknat Han approach, for instance, in in, in certain uh, areas, like in the refraining from um, uh, taking what's not offered, it talks about refraining from overusing our planet's resources, which is a, a very deep exploration. You know, it's 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 beyond what. Um, taking, you know, it's beyond taking something that belongs to somebody else, which is, you know, again, the, the kind of uh, definition in the text speaks about uh, depriving somebody of uh, their rightful property. You know, so it's, it's, got, it's got a more specific definition as the harsh speech has a specific definition around speech intending to create harm. Now, harsh speech, the definition of harsh speech um, the it's it's more kind of um, subtle than just the words that are said, just the content. It does include sarcasm. It does include the tone of voice um, in terms of what would create harm. Uh, but the but the intention to create harm is a piece of that in terms of the ethical aspect. So in my in my kind of sense of the ethical component of the path. It's intended to be something that is achievable. You know, it is intended to be, um, you know, we can know whether we are, through this exploration, we can know whether the intention is to cause harm. <clears throat> and then, um, and so that's just, that's just to say I would agree with you that since there's not the intention to cause harm, it's more of a style. It's not, it's not... Um, I wouldn't say it's that it's unwise speech in that way. It's not the ethical violation of unwise speech. And yet in the Buddha's teaching to his son uh, around ethics, he also gave it a little bit, he didn't talk about the precepts so much in that, in that teaching. This is when his son was seven years old. <clears throat> and he didn't talk so much about uh, the precepts in that, but he talked about just, is this going to cause Harm is it going to create affliction for for yourself or for another or for both? And in this case, what I would say is that this kind of speech is creating affliction. It's creating affliction for the other person, and it's actually potentially creating affliction for you too. In that way, you were saying that you would benefit if more people liked speaking with you. I mean, maybe, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so. So there's, um, but but this begins to deepen it into more um, a, a deeper exploration around uh, noticing that when we speak in a certain way or when we do something in a certain way, it 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 is received even if it's not our intention. It's received in a certain way, and so this this kind of gets into something that's talked about a lot these days is intention versus impact, and that. Um, we, we um, may be acting with a particular intention, but unaware of the impact it has. And so as we become aware of the impact, if somebody's uh, generous enough to let us know that had an impact, then we can take it in as, a, okay, what, what can I learn from this? What's happening here? So, you know, some of this style that you say may be culturally conditioned from family, from, you know, other things. Um, and so it, it may be a, a, a hard pattern to shift because it could be so deeply conditioned. But it, it might be worth looking at in terms of this, this more uh, reflection on, oh, it is creating harm 
And uh, the Buddha encouraged his son to kind of be curious about that. And when he's, he, what he told his son is, if you see that it is causing harm, or he, uh, then, then see if you can refrain in that situation from that action or speech. If you, if you know afterwards that it's caused harm, then undertake some kind of restraint in the future. And so again, this is a deeper exploration. It is not strictly around, is it, is it wise speech or not wise speech? It's much more of a, of a deepening around recognizing, oh, certain things do create harm or create uh, affliction. And what, what can I learn here? And so, um, you know, an exploration, I would encourage actually an internal exploration around, you know, what's going on. So you, there's not the intention to harm, but, um, you know, the, the, the forceful style, you describe a kind of forceful style of speaking. What's motivating that? Is it just habit? Is it just that uh, that's the way you grew up learning how to speak? Is it almost a kind of a way to be seen? You know, maybe, maybe it's a way to be recognized that, that, you know, I can imagine in a, in a family with a lot of kids, you might need to speak up you know, to be heard or something. So there's, there's conditions where it actually was something that our system was doing in order to, to be able to be recognized, to feel like we belonged. And so there's a lot that might be kind of deeper underneath that pattern than simply just the, you know, this is the way my family does it. So that would be worth looking at to, to explore that piece and, and see what's, you know, what's there. Uh, there was something else that came up as I reflected on this. Um, sometimes, uh, so one thing around this teaching that the Buddha offers his son, it's not explicit in there, but um, to me it's the, the implicit in the teaching around notice whether your actions are creating affliction. <clears throat> oh, that was it too, affliction. What is affliction? <laughs> um, <clears throat> so whether your um, actions are creating affliction or not, um, when we see that it's creating affliction, sometimes there is something that we don't understand. You know, so... Um, a way of speaking, for instance, uh, that there's a, a kind of a whole um, understanding around uh, what are called microaggressions, in um, and and these are things that you might say to, um, uh, for example, here's here's an example. So if somebody if somebody is in um, um, a wheelchair, for example. Um, there can be a way, if there's some kind of disability, it might not be a wheelchair, it might be another kind of disability, there might be um, ways in which we assume they are disabled in other ways. And so we might speak more loudly to a person in, in a wheelchair or something like that, you know, so that, that that's, it's, a, it's a little bit of an assumptions that we have around people um, that, are, that are not... Um, uh, um, really relevant, and so there's a there's some harm that can be created when we when we engage and speak in that way. Another very a very common one that's brought up as an example here is somebody of um, maybe a third generation person of of Asian or Indian descent who um, goes for um, uh, goes to a college application meeting and the person uh, responds, gee, you speak English very well. And, you know, this person has been born in the United States, has an American accent in this case, and, and, and yet, the, you know, the, there's somehow the assumption that just because somebody is of Asian descent or Indian descent or, or Latino descent or, you know, that, that they would not speak English and so this is a microaggression, you know. So so there's there's um, ways in which we 
um, might not be intending to cause harm there. In fact, it might seem like a compliment or something that we're offering that person in that situation. But it is actually a recognition that that can create harm for the other person. It can create a sense of being excluded, of not being seen for who they are, you know, all kinds of um, uh, effects that that can have. And so as we become aware of those things, as we become aware that there is harm created in ways that we're speaking and acting, then it can be useful to, to begin an investigation. It's like, again, the, the, some of these things, while it might not be coming from an intentional harm, it might be coming from unawareness or delusion. You know, that, that there's, there's something that's not quite seen in there. And so when there is this sense of not being an intention to create harm, but seeing that harm is created, this can be a place where we can start to open to um, seeing some of the ways in which we don't see ourselves clearly. Seeing some of the ways in which we have filters on through which we're engaging in the world. So this is, this is an opportunity for us to begin to um, be curious about those times. Not to judge ourselves, not to, not to hate ourselves or berate ourselves, but, oh, this is like having, wow, this has a really different effect than my intention. What can I learn from this? So that it creates conditions for an opportunity for growth and learning rather than either self-judgment or other judgment. <clears throat> And then, um, then this question around, this is actually a pointing to the third piece that I wanted to bring in. Where are we time-wise? Um, now, what is affliction? You know, it's like sometimes a question can come up. You know, um, I have to give somebody bad news. I have to speak something that they're not going to like. It's going to create affliction for them. They're going to be unhappy. And so... Is that, does that mean I shouldn't say it? I have to say this thing. You know, this is, a, might have to fire somebody or, uh, you know, that, 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 that there are certain situations where we have to give news that the other person does not want to receive. So, I think I mentioned last time that the Buddha <clears throat> doesn't necessarily say that Kind speech means pleasant speech. Or kind speech doesn't mean something that the other person will receive as pleasant necessarily. The Buddha spoke in many ways. There, there are times when um, the Buddha spoke and he was like, you know, you are just not seeing this very clearly. This is a foolish way to look at things. You know, <laughs> you know he, he, he was very direct in his speech. And yet the understanding, I mean, the kind of the... the, the the mythology, let's say, of the Buddha is that he had a, a kind of a sense of what was an appropriate time for offering teachings. And there were times when he did not speak a truth when he knew the person couldn't hear that speech. And so this is, a, this is an exploration, again, around so true, useful, kind, and timely. Is this something that the person could hear? Is it something that... Um, you know, ultimately um, um, it moves in the direction of um, of growth. You know, and and the the whole the whole question around firing somebody. I mean, that's I wouldn't say that necessarily moves in the direction of growth for the other person. You know, it's it's a it's the whole institutional kind of field that you're embedded in there that puts you in that situation to have to give that kind of news to somebody. But one piece that you can explore there is, you know, sometimes what we do when we have to give bad news to somebody, so there's just this side, you know, what, some, something that we sometimes do when we have to give bad news to somebody is that we create a division in order to be able to do that. We, we divide ourselves, we, we make them an other so that we can do that so that we don't have to feel the pain that they're going to feel when this bad news comes. And what I'd like to encourage is uh, not doing that, or at least noticing that that might be a tendency. 
and to try to, you know, to, to explore delivering that news in as um, kind of a way as possible. <clears throat> um, is there something else there? So that's, that's if you're having to deliver some kind of, of like news that will just be hard for somebody to receive. So that would not necessarily be unwise speech. It's like this, you know, not telling the person that and then them showing up the next day and having their, you know, having having to say, well, you're not going to be earning any money being here. You know, you're off the payroll. <laughs> you know, so, so the, the, the information needs to be communicated. Then there's another kind of... Um, um, you know, uh, exploration around when somebody doesn't want to hear something or, or a kind of a place where... So this may be, this may tie back to that question around harsh speech or divisive speech when somebody is, is speaking in that way and you feel like you do need to give them some uh, feedback or say, you know, that's just not helpful. And again, this might, it might be that you can speak from your own experience or you might be in a position where you're needing to speak from a broader perspective of, you know, this, this, um, this kind of speech affects a lot of people. It's not just me that's affected. So the, um, again, to, to try to create a sense of kindness in the delivery of the information to recognize, you know, at least I think a, a helpful piece is recognizing that this may be something that the other person will react to. So that you, you, you are aware that there might be something that, that, will, that will come back. And if, if you're aware and kind of prepared for that, then, then perhaps that, won't, that reaction won't have to cycle through you and then create a spiral of, of reactivity. Because this is kind of feedback. If you say something that makes somebody else angry, they say something to you in order to hurt you. If you're not prepared for that, to, to let that just kind of go right through you, then you might come back with something unskillful because unskillfulness breeds unskillfulness, not only internally but externally. And so to, to recognize, okay, this may be hard for this person to hear and they may not be able to hear it, but I have to say it. Maybe they'll get it at some point in the future, you know, so that, so that there is a kind of an understanding that this may not be able to be heard, but sometimes the c- context, like if you're in a room with other people who may be being harmed by what this person is saying, so, you know, you might be, um, you know, in a room, a mixed, um, a d- very diverse room, um, and uh, somebody is... is telling uh, an inappropriate racially tinged joke you may be in a position to cut that off seeing you know in the larger perspective that that this person's speech is going to be harmful for the group and so it may create some affliction in this person that's speaking but the broader perspective would be to uh to um, prevent harm in others in the room. And so there's, there's a lot of things to weigh off there in, in that situation. If it's just the two of you, you might be able to, to recognize, hmm, is this timely or not with just the two of us? If there's more people in the situation, it might be a broader kind of reflection around, is this harmful to uh, more than just myself? And then ultimately... You know, the, the level or the engagement of, of harm or affliction is, um, is this leading towards freedom from greed, aversion, and delusion? Is this communication leading towards kindness, care, compassion? And so the, um, you know, if there's somebody engaging in speech that's motivated out of greed, aversion, or delusion, and you point that out, 
there is a kindness there, as long as it's, again, done with the sense of kindness and not judgment, you know, as long as it's, it, there's not the, the spin on the inside as, I know what's right, you know, that, that actually will be one really good way for them not to hear it. If we have a sense of attitude there, it will be much less likely for somebody to be able to hear it. So, you know, to, 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 um, but, but the, but that is the, the, the direction that the whole path leads is in this direction of freedom from greed, freedom from aversion, freedom from delusion. And there are times in our communication with each other that we help each other in that way. So other comments or questions? I don't think we have time to get to the mindful speech piece so much. There's only a few minutes left, but. Other questions about, yeah, some of the gray areas of speech. Um, Thank you so much. This is so timely, amazing. I'm sorry I came in late because it's just, uh, I can't wait to listen to the rest of it. But um, (laughs) um, uh, what if you know, uh, following what you just had said, what happens if you know you're right? Like, how do you practice around that? Like somebody's about to make a decision or is, is you're in a, you're in a situation where there's a tussling happening. You can feel the other person is trying to get your opinion, but doesn't want to hear it. And you, you know, you have the right answer, but you know, it's not going to be received or they're going to be contradictory or whatever. How do you practice internally with that feeling of but this is going to lead go badly if if this situation if they do this thing yeah how do you then quietly practice yeah so so that's a great question so you're recognizing it you know you maybe have tried this is what i think they're not hearing it and so you recognize more of saying it is not necessarily going to do anything and yet there's a kind of a resistance internally so part of that resistance internally is is Potentially, you know, it. Potentially, some of it is unhelpful. Potentially, some of it is actually a kind of an acknowledgement or a recognition. You know, this is going to lead to suffering, and a kind of so. So that part is is also worth recognizing as distinct from the frustration that it's going to lead to suffering. You know that that there is a kind of the heart kind of can break when it recognizes this is not going to go well. And then there's the other piece that's the anger and they're not taking my advice. (laughs) Right. So, (laughs) so, so they're, they're really tied up together, but they are distinct and it can be helpful to notice that they're distinct, to recognize the heartbreak because we, we might think that what, what the purpose of the practice would be is to just feel like, Oh yeah, it's all good. But no, that's not actually what happens with the purpose, with the, with the way the practice unfolds. We feel the suffering more deeply when we aren't resisting and have the encasement of greed, aversion, and delusion. We know, yeah, this is not going to go well. It's going to hurt. People are going to be in pain of the situation. And we feel that hurt. We, we feel it. It's like our, our minds know how to kind of recognize, to model, to play out a situation and feel into the results. And so that's one piece is to recognize, yeah, that's going to be painful. Don't let yourself like close down around that. And sometimes the, the anger is a result of that feeling. You know, it's like, I know this is going to go badly and, you know, if they'd only do what I said, I wouldn't have to feel that suffering or I wouldn't have to be dealing with the outcome of this. And so the, you know, there's that, that anger there is, um, can be a a result of that feeling itself. And so again, it's a, you know, it's, it's a look at that difference. See if there can be an opening to the pain of the suffering that, that may end up happening and the reactivity around that. We can begin to tease those two apart. The feeling into the suffering, so what I'd say is there's, there's roughly a um, different kind of heart quality. When the, the, the feeling of the suffering and then the reactivity around it, often there's a feeling of hardness, a kind of constriction, a tightness. If there's a feeling of tightness, I'd say often there's some kind of reactivity going on there. 
It may be, you know, not quite so conscious, but it's more like, yeah, I can muscle through this or something. Um, But if there's any kind of tightness, it means that the heart isn't really able to feel the suffering. And so, um, so noticing that tightness, you don't have to like take a ice pick and like break through that tightness, but acknowledge, okay, yeah, wow, there is some frustration here. There's some anger here. That's what I'd explore being with. But, but the, the, I guess the key, key wisdom piece is to recognize that as that anger falls away, the recognition of the suffering that can result actually gets stronger, gets more, becomes more felt. And the feeling there when the heart is not constricted, not tight around that um, situation, is the heart feels soft, but it, it like it hurts feeling soft. It's like quivering. It's 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 like the resonance of pain touching a heart that can feel that pain. Our hearts vibrate in sympathy with suffering, and the when the heart feels soft, there's a different quality to that experience of, oh yeah, that's gonna be a that's gonna be painful for a lot of people, and that part is not gonna go away. But we, we can hold it. So what equanimity, I'd say, is, is not, yeah, it's all good, but this is the experience when suffering happens without fighting, without resistance, but also in the, in the moment recognizing. It's not, again, it's not just, oh yeah, this is suffering. I just sit here and watch it. There can be a motivation to try to do something you know, to try to act, to alleviate that suffering. That movement of the heart that resonates in sympathy with suffering has an inclination to respond, to act, to alleviate that suffering. So I really would encourage that inner exploration around that difference and to not have the sense that, oh yeah, this exploration will create, you know, the sense that this is no problem. You know, it's no problem in the sense that the heart can hold that suffering. But it's not no problem in the sense of the kind of context of the content of the world where this is going to unfold in a way that will ripple out. So yeah, I mean that it's it's a it's an it's a it's a great exploration because what it does help us to do is to let go of the extra that's kind of keeping us from really feeling the consequences and the suffering. Yeah. And it's time to stop. So thank you all. And we'll talk about mindful speech when I come back. I'll be away next week teaching a retreat. The following week I'll be back. So thank you. Thursday night? Yep, I'll be here Thursday.